Amen. Am I on, Nick? Good morning, everybody. What a good time of worship. Thank you, worship team. Thank you very much. I got a little lost in it, and I wasn't quite ready to come up. <clears throat> Tom started praying, and I was just back there praying, thinking and praying, and then I'm like, wait, I think this is my moment. It's good to see everybody today. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to our family room. This is a family room. We talk about that every week, and we're, gonna, we're growing and functioning in this being a family room. We've got a lot of growing to do yet, but we are growing in that. We've got a couple of things coming up that are going to maybe help us to see that a little clearer. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us before we get into the, what we got to share this morning. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that we have had a few moments and a few songs to quiet our hearts and to, to clear our minds. Lord, I just pray clarity over this body, uh, over each person that's here, Lord, that they would um, hear your words, what you've designed for them to hear this morning, not what I have uh, necessarily thought of, but Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me, that it wouldn't be anything, um, any Isaac in the teaching this morning, that it would all be just from you. Lord, I thank you that... Um, you use us to speak things even if we're not 100% walking it. Uh, thank you for the courage that you've given us to do this, not just here in the church, but also as we go from this place, especially as we go from this place out into the world. Lord, I just pray a sharpening and an equipping um, over each person here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, everybody, again. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm there. Uh, this last... This last year, or this last couple months of this year, <clears throat> we've spent looking at perspective, looking at how and what we see, not just what we're looking at, but how we're seeing it, and I'm talking about how, how we're seeing something determines how we interact with it. We looked at Stephen's life. Everybody remember talking about Stephen and how he had a commission from the early church. Um, his commission was to care for people that weren't getting fed making sure that they had food. It was a simple thing, and he didn't allow that to determine uh, everything that he was gonna do. He didn't say, well, that's all the ministry I'm gonna do is make sure that these specific, this specific group of people gets fed. He went out and he preached the gospel, did signs and wonders. He wasn't afraid of, of operating in the gospel outside of the confines of the, the church building or their wherever they were organized at. Then the last couple of weeks we looked we started digging into the pitfalls and dangers of comparisons and how, I mean, it's all fit together as the Lord has quickened this in my heart. I pray that you guys have all seen the connections. How Stephen didn't lose himself in comparison. He didn't look and say, well, I'm not as good as Peter and John because they're busy doing the praying and studying the word and I'm just supposed to make sandwiches. He's like, this is, there's no hierarchy of greatness. Their calls in the body didn't dictate their roles outside the body. And in that comparison, how easily we can be derailed. In fact, Paul uses the words consuming one another by comparing ourselves among ourselves, measuring ourselves by ourselves. There's some tremendous pitfalls. I'm not gonna re-preach all of that stuff, but it kind of has led me to this place. Then I guess last week we, we looked at a little bit both weeks about how Jesus got out in front of this comparison with, uh, with Peter and John. You know, he reinstated Peter at the end of John chapter 21 and, 
And then Peter's like, well, what about, what about John? Immediately goes right to, what about John? And Jesus is like, listen, what's it to you? What happens to John? Isn't to, just, you just follow me. And that, that simplicity, it's out of that place that we get to where we're gonna look this morning because what was before Peter was a need. He needed to have a tenacity. He needed to have endurance. He needed to have focus and not focus on what John was doing, not focus on what Paul was doing, not focus on what Stephen had done, but to focus on Jesus. You follow me. What's it to you? If he remains until I return, what's it to you? You follow me. And that same level of, it's, it's a simple thing. To, to talk about it here in a, I, I, I mean, this isn't theory, but in a theoretical, we're sitting in comfortable, like we have the luxury of choosing to focus or not focus or focus a little more or focus a little less. Right now, before us, we have that luxury in our lives. And, and that's a good thing, but the same commission is before us from the same, not commission, what's the word I'm looking for? The same instruction or exhortation is to us today. What is it to you? Don't get lost in comparison. Stay focused. The book of Hebrews was written, we don't know exactly who wrote it, there's a lot of speculation, but the book of Hebrews was written to specifically Hebrew believers, and it was clarifying that there is a new and better covenant founded on new and better promises that were built and drawn out of the old covenant, but this is not anymore in action. The old covenant is no longer in action. It was, they were keeping with Hebrew customs. This letter was written to articulate and describe in great detail how this new covenant functions. And in the middle of this, nearly in the very middle of it, in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, Verses 9 through 12, I'll read it for you here in the New King James. It says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Verse 11, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This time of year that we're in right now, we just crested over into February. We're in month two. This is usually, most generally, when everyone's New Year's resolutions begin tapering off in intensity. We start out the year and there's so many people, it's like a thing, I'm not saying, I don't know if anybody in here does New Year's resolutions or not, I'm not throwing stones at anybody that does or doesn't, but, but culturally, this is the point in the year where our uh, no-carb diet is starting to get some, a few more carbs to it. Because, I mean, there's a uh, sporting event tonight, you might have something to eat that might have some carbs, and it's like, well, we'll cheat a little. And maybe your exercise program for the year is like, January was great, but February's got a lot more going on, so we'll just kind of trim it back a little bit. Anybody, anybody's, your, your, your uh, New Year's resolution's going pretty well. Now, so the message that I have to share this morning, I told my wife when we were driving here, I'm like, I feel like I'm inviting 
my whole church family to go to a financial conference taught by someone in the middle of a chapter seven bankruptcy. Like, none of you would, I would not be a very good shepherd if I was like, we're all gonna go, this guy's gonna teach us all sorts of financial stuff, principles, and it's like, well, how wealthy is he? He's actually bankrupt for the third time, but he's got some principles to teach us. This is how I feel. I have kind of danced around this. I'm like, Lord, I don't think I'm the guy for this. This is not the message. I don't think this is for me to share. In fact, I'm quite certain this isn't for me to live. Who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's like a broke guy teaching you about finances. I'm supposed to talk about patience? Lord, you're sure about this? And he's continued, and he keeps kind of just like leaning in, like, I'd like you to talk about it. And I honestly think maybe this could just be for me this morning. So if anybody's got, if you got like podcasts you want to listen to while I'm preaching, that's fine. I feel like this is something that I have, I struggle with. Our entire society struggles, and I say that to make myself feel better, with patience. Patience? Really? This is where we're going this morning, Patience, out of, we could do comparison. That, I mean, that smarted a little bit for some of us, but patience? I don't even, I mean, if, if anyone would like to leave, there's coffee you can have. I, like, I don't want to talk about patience. But we're going to look at some patience. This letter of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers as an expose on the new covenant versus the old covenant. This principle of faith and patience, faith and patience, faith and patience, it's a common theme all throughout scripture. In the New Testament, we see uh, folks winding up with a foot in both covenants. We talked about this last week a little bit, that all the letters, almost all the letters written, whether it was Paul, Peter, John, James, whoever was writing the letters, almost all of them have a corrective bent to them, or an instructive. Maybe not corrective, some, sometimes it's instructive, but this, this like, you guys, because we all begin, and we were talking this morning, Cassie and Webb and I were talking about how when you get born again, everybody begins in grace. It's great. Jesus does it because we can't do it. We have to believe. But then how quickly we get back and we're like, this grace thing is fine, but what about back into some, some of me? Because I got some stuff to bring to the table. I can do some. And we get back into this covenant mixing. These, all these letters that were written reveal to us that humanity on our own we can begin in grace, we can begin in a new and better covenant, but when we're left to the patience part, we wind up adding something. I like the idea of, um, it's, it's just the way we are. When, when humans are instructed to be patient, we just wander all over the place. And kids are the clearest picture of this. Adults, I'm convinced, are just really sometimes uh, restrained children. Because we all tend to do it. In fact, you, you take a child, anybody, you get a kid about eight, nine years old, seven years old, even six for some of us, and you take them to the store and you're like, listen, we're not gonna be those people, okay? You're gonna stay right beside the cart. We're not grabbing everything off the shelves. We're not running down the aisles. We're not gonna be those people, okay? And you tell, very serious, I use this face. We're not gonna be those people. We're going to walk calmly, quietly, no screaming, especially no screaming. And then you walk in the store, and within 35 seconds, 
everything that you said is completely disregarded. Anybody been there? And, and we can look at our kids. I look at my kids, I'm like, what is wrong with them? And yet when I go to the store by myself, it's nearly the same thing except without the screaming. It's like, I want to go over here. I go over, I want to go over here. And we, so we're all, we all, as humans, when we have this thing where there's this patience, where there's this waiting, where there's an instruction, we struggle to stay the course of patience, faith and patience. As humans, so, nearly all the New Testament letters involve some corrective or directive instruction towards a simple faith in Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Simple instruction. Listen, it's just Jesus. We're not going to go crazy here and turn into a religion of us. It's just Jesus. And yet you see all these churches go get planted and it's like the kid walks in the store and they just go everywhere. It's like, well, what about some, what about some Gnosticism? What about a little bit of, we could mix in some Jewish law. We could mix in all this stuff. We could just do whatever. Mix. No, 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 no. And so they all get these letters. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. And then you see this letter to the Hebrews, and in the middle of it is this, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. When we get born again, it would be nice if we were immediately caught up with Jesus in the flesh. But we're not. We're commissioned to live a life of faith. When we're waiting, we tend to wander. As humans, when we're waiting, whatever the waiting is, we tend to wander. This is all throughout Scripture. You can pick any book and we can find where waiting humans wander. Look at the children of Israel waiting for Moses. I mean, that was like, that was extreme wandering. That was like kinetic wandering that wound up with a golden calf. What just happened? I read that. I, I, I have never read that story and really understood the natural flow of events. Moses goes up on the mountain. They got this instruction. And within not that much time, they're like, you know, obviously there's a God. He, we just witnessed the plagues. We just crossed the Red Sea. And now we're expected to wait for a few minutes and it's like, let's do a different God. Let's do a golden one. Everybody get your gold, let's build it together and we'll make something else to worship. So well, the, other, the real God is still there. He's talking to Moses right now. I've never understood this. They had to wait for a few minutes. And it's like, we can't do this. We can't be expected to wait. All throughout scripture, this principle of waiting leads to wandering. Interestingly enough, faith by definition, has a built-in passage of time. Ouch. A built-in passage of time. What is Hebrews 11.1? 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So there's a substance of things that we don't have, substance, or an evidence of things, an evidence of things we haven't seen yet. So we believe something and we haven't seen it. How many of you, when you got born again, were immediately translated to heaven? None of you, because you're here right now. 
So there's a waiting. You know you're the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. You might have memorized scripture verses that say that, and yet there's a passage of time from born again to realized. From born again, you get born again in your spirit, and yet we still are here. We pray for things, and they don't always happen right away. There's a passage of time built. You know, we talked about this, we've talked about this a lot in the last few years. Faith, there's this, belief, there's this saying that while seeing is believing, anybody remember this conversation? No, it's not. Seeing is seeing, believing is believing. You don't need to believe once you see. We don't have a need for faith. I cannot very well say, and have you take me seriously, I hope this stage will hold me up. I could say it once and it's like, he's making a point, what's he saying? But if I really hold fast, like I really hope, I'm sincerely hoping this, you start, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. The stage is obviously currently holding him up. He's seen it. But when I'm approaching it, I can say, I hope this stage will hold me up. I believe this stage will hold me up. I no longer need to believe it once it's doing it. Once I've seen it, there's no more need for faith. Faith has this built-in passage of time. And this passage of time is difficult for us as humans. It's difficult for all of us. And this message, I'm going to preload it here, that this message is not designed in any way to lead anybody into condemnation. There is no condemnation in this message. Because I told you, I am not, this is not something I'm like walking out all the time. I'm learning. This concept is on display all throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve, obviously our first glimpse at this thread of thought. Like, and one of the clearest pictures. So eat of anything except this one thing. And a little bit of time passes. How about this one thing? Just like, what about the rest of the garden? They had, I, I, for, this is just my speculation, I believe they had not eaten of every other thing in the garden. But it wasn't like, well, we've had everything else, we might as well try the one that was forbidden. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe it was like, hey, what about this tree? Immediately, what about that tree? It's the forbidden, the principle of something being forbidden. So they're left alone for a little while. Eve and the serpent get together, and we know what happens. Abraham, another example of this, receives a promise from God had the opportunity to simply believe, but as with many of us, the passage of time, his natural understanding began to lead him and affect his decision-making. Natural understanding mixed with the passage of time doesn't ever lead us to stand up, stand out faith. In Abraham's defense, though, it was many years between the promise being made and the promise being realized. Nine chapters, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 21, we see God giving Abraham a promise, Abram a promise, then partway through he changes his name to Abraham, father of many nations, still no Isaac, and chapters later, this child is realized. And in that time, how many of you know Abraham did a little wandering? Waiting always leads us to wandering. It can be any, I mean, this applies to any area of our lives. We receive a promise from God in the promise form, not in the realized form, and then a passage of time, there is, I'm not saying everybody wanders, but the temptation to wander is certainly there. This, this uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 
11 and 12, I want to look at, the, especially verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, but that you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So this morning is going to be a little bit of a shorter message. We're working our way through it. We're going to do a little bit more worship at the end. I just want to preload that. This is not going to be the longest teaching you've ever sat through here. Um, but I, I, I do kind of want to look at a couple of things. Staying the course is not an easy task, is it? We can receive a promise from God. And, and I look across this room, there's some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long, long, long time. Jerry and I have spent a lot of time. Danny and I have talked a lot. Tom, all, many of us have talked. There is a point where you get the word of God and boy, the fire, you get revelation of being born again and that fire lights and it is off to the races. And then some time goes by and the temptation is like, we don't see something. We maybe aren't seeing it as we perceive we should see it. Whatever the thing is, we're not walking in complete victory and that steam sort of fades and we sort of begin to be sluggish in this walk with Jesus, in this walk of faith. The, one of the clearest pictures that I get of this in the natural, you guys know I love metaphors. Anybody, anybody ever been on um, like a one or two man sailboat? Anybody? You can raise your hands if you have. Look, I'm trying to think of what the name of them is. What are they called, Jerry? The little sunfish is the one I'm thinking of. I grew up sailing these at our church camp. They're just a little fiberglass boat. They got one sail, a dagger board that drops down the middle, and a little rudder behind them. Staying the course in this life is so much like sailing. It is so much like sailing. Sailing, we used to have, uh, they called it a regatta. At the church camp that I went to growing up, we would have this, it was a sailboat race. They used the name regatta until somebody got upset that it was like, well, that's a proprietary term, so then it was just a sailboat race. But they would put buoys out in this bay area of Lake Erie, and we would, the, obviously the object is to sail around the buoys. And this, it seems simple. It's like, we'll get in the boat and drive around the buoys, except there's no throttle. There's no, it's like, we got nothing. It's just a rope and a rudder. And what are you supposed to do with a rope and the sail and the rudder? Well, there's this principle in sailing called tacking. And when you tack, like, if the wind is blowing from this direction and I'm going that direction, it's pretty easy. Hold the sail, hold the rudder, and away you go. But these buoys are positioned so you end up sailing in a complete circle. Well, that's hard unless you can convince the wind to follow you around. It's not how it works. Anybody ever sailed, you understand. It's like, okay, the wind is going this way, so how do I go that way? No, we don't think about this today because today we're like, we turn the wheel and we push the throttle and then we go that way. And we got a little wind that way, and that's it. But in a sailboat, it's like, it's just you and the wind, and you gotta work it out. And you gotta come up with a way that that wind that's blowing that way can propel us that way. And then we gotta come back this way, but the wind's blowing that way. We'll never win this race. Does anybody ever felt like that in your walk of faith? It's like, but the wind is blowing that way, and I'm supposed to be going this way. I don't think this is possible. And so sailors, many, many, many hundreds of years ago, developed this principle of tacking. In which place, in which way, you go a little bit this way, and then you duck and the sail comes back around, you turn the rudder and you go a little bit this way, and all the while you're working this direction, that direction, and that direction. Because you use the wind, if the boat's sitting this way and the sail's like this, you're gonna go this way, but if the boat's like this and the sail's still like this and you hold the rudder, you can go that way. You can use the wind however it's blowing and hold the course. 
Life as a believer is a series of patience and course corrections. There's little things we learn. There's messages taught. I'm a part of a small group of men, and and in that men's group, there's many different perspectives. And there's little things that are shared different times when we gather that it's like, ah, there's a course correction. And it might not be a big one. If you're any good at sailing, your tacking isn't real. You try not to do real exaggerated tacks because you're wasting time to win the sailboat race. So you want to do just slight tacks, slight course corrections as you navigate around the buoys of this life. Being always aware of the wind, always aware of the current, always adjusting the mechanics of our life to maintain our constant heading. This is life as a believer. This is faith and patience. Course correction, course correction, course correction. There's a danger in it though. Anybody ever heard of pride? I have. I've done some time there. I periodically visit it, sometimes more than, my wife's not here, I can confess, more than I should. She's here, but she's not hopefully listening. I I spend some time there, and pride says, no, no, I turned the rudder this way, and I pulled the sail, and doggone it, we're going to hold this. It's like, well, the wind has shifted. You are now in what's called the doldrums. I know, but I'm holding this heading. It's like your sail's just sitting there, limp, and we're not going anywhere. And then you start getting desperate and you start just wiggling the rudder behind you and it's just, you just sit there. You're going nowhere. That's where pride leads us. Pride leads us into these doldrums where it's like, I, I'm not changing anything. Humility says, I can make some course corrections. You know what, I, I maybe need to tweak this. I think I was off a tiny bit. It's not, it's not recanting your faith. It's not saying, well, what I believed was wrong. It's saying, I need to tweak a little bit. I need to adjust my heading so I can maintain motion, so I can continue in faith, operating in patience. This principle of a sailboat, it's simple, but I hope that it's clear. James refers to our tongue as the rudder of our lives. So interestingly enough, we cannot control the wind All we can control is the sails and the rudder. Those two things work together. When we use our rudder to guide the ship of our lives, it matters. How many of you know it matters what you say? Now, people have taken that and they've turned it into a thing where it's like we get religious about it. Anybody been there? I've been there too. Spent quite a bit of time there. Now, it's difficult to navigate this because You could say it matters what you say. In fact, we know that Scripture reveals that life and death itself is in the power of the tongue. And yet, how quickly we can turn that into a religious thing. And now it's like, well, you can't even say how you really feel because you think, somebody, I'm going to be speaking death. There's a line there. And this is where I want to, I'm hoping that I can communicate this, church. I'm really hoping that this comes across clear. Back to my sailboat race. And I wish, I wish I would have pictures or some videos, which this was all way before. There was no, like to video when I was doing this sailboat race, it was like a big thing with a tape in it. There was no like phone videoing and whatnot. But there is a way on these little sunfish sailboats where you could hold them, the wind's blowing, and it blows strong in this life sometimes. And you hold that rudder at just the right spot and you hold the rope 
and the, the top of the boat's at an angle about like this. And you're holding this line, holding the rope tight, and you're holding the rudder in a certain spot, and you feel like you're going to go over. You're standing, leaning back on the boat, and you're just flying, it feels like. Sometimes you're actually flying, sometimes you're not moving as fast as you feel. But this is the idea that I, I feel like the Lord really laid on my heart with this passage in Hebrews this morning, was faith and patience. Holding that line propels us through this life. In a sailboat race, you must not focus on the other boats. You must not focus on the other boats. If you focus on the other boats, you're guaranteed to lose. You know what you look at in a sailboat race? And I won this sailboat race several times, so I'm, I mean, it's been 20 years ago, but I was an accomplished sailboat racer for a junior high kid. It is imperative that you keep your eye fixed on the next buoy to round. Wherever that next buoy is, you don't look at the finish line because the finish line, the, the thing that you fix on is the next, cur- the next buoy. We got to get to the next buoy. And sometimes to get to the next buoy, you go this way. And then you, the winds, like we can catch it and we can go and just slip around that buoy. You focus on that next buoy. You dare not look at the other boats. If we get caught up looking at the other boats, this is what we talked about the last couple weeks, comparison. And we start looking, it's like, well, Joel's boat's going faster than my boat, and we try, I'm going to be just like him. Well, he's got the wind. I don't have the wind, he's got the wind. Focus on the next buoy, your sail, your rudder. What am I saying? The wind's blowing a certain direction on my boat. The ship that is my life, what am I speaking? And am I holding that trimming? It's called trimming your sails. Pulling the line tight and adjusting what we say. Adjusting it a little bit. This rudder, the rudder, you, you sat in the center of this little boat in the little hole, and then there was, the rudder was right behind you, and you just adjusted it a little bit. You didn't adjust it much. You just, and I remember learning to sail these with my dad, and he would just put his hand on the back and he'd just move his fingers a little bit and, you could, and that thing would just come to life. The boat would come right to life. As we make little adjustments to the rudder, to the words that we speak, little adjustments, we will see big things change in our lives. Comparison is the worst for us with patience. Through faith and patience we receive the promise, but what about everybody else? What's it to you? You follow me. What's it to you, Isaac? It doesn't, don't look at the other boats. Don't look at the other boats. I've called you to this next buoy. Sail towards it. Make course corrections. Let people speak into your lives. The Bible talks about in the abundance of many counselors is wisdom. Give yourself some good counsel to help make adjustments. Course correct, course correct. Have the humility to allow people to speak into our lives as we adjust the rudder. As we looked at, as we looked at the last couple of weeks, this comparison, we tend to sail towards whatever we're gazing at. A friend of mine calls this the spiritual law of beholding. That which we behold, we ultimately become. And now to behold is a little different than to just look at. To behold is to gaze at with intentions on. To behold something is to pause and allow, like uh, 
the, the new, I, well, they're probably not new anymore, but my wife's iPhone has this thing, portrait mode. That's, that is the best natural picture of beholding I've ever seen. You put that sucker in portrait mode, and it's like, I am an excellent photographer. The one thing that I want, and then there's a little thing at the bottom, you can adjust the blur, the background blur. So you pick the thing you want to focus on, and it's just pristine clear, and everything else just kind of fades. That's beholding. The things we behold on, when we gaze at each other's lives with that kind of focus, it derails us. And we begin to sail at each other instead of sailing, instead of keeping our eye fixed on the prize. As we continue this morning, like I said, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All of these letters that were written to the early churches were written, like I said, we talked in the beginning, with this corrective bent, this instruction, this return to focus. Is everybody okay with that? Like, return to focus. It, the church at Galatia, we see they were being taught, this, the Judaizers had come in and said, no, no, we gotta get back to circumcision, we gotta get back to the law, we gotta get back to... And, Paul writes this letter, and he's like, no, 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 return to focus. How did you get born again? Did you get born again by the works of the law, by the works of the flesh, by you doing stuff? No, you got born again by Jesus. Let's get back to that. Continue therein. The letter to the Colossians and the Ephesians, we see there was a Gnostic belief system, which is this strange separation between our existence here, spiritual existence, and nothing here mattered. It was a very strange doctrine, uh, and it was like some uh, Greek mythology mixed in there. And it's like, no, no, no. Return to Jesus, the simplistic gospel. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Corinth, we see that they're just mixing carnal living. Just willy-nilly, whatever feels good, do it. Now, how many of you know, uh, James offers all kinds of corrections that apply to all of this. Peter wrote with clear direction, reiterating the simplicity and the completeness, the completeness of the gospel. John also wrote to a culture affected by this Gnostic belief system. How many of you can relate with each of those as the the forces in our lives being reflected in those letters? The church at Corinth, like I said, simple carnal living mixed with Christianity. I've seen some of that in my lifetime. Uh, Just worldly strange doctrines being mixed in. I've seen that like represented by Gnosticism. Then we see the church at Galatia. We talked about the old and new covenants being mixed together. We've sure seen some of that today. So we see all these little corrective things. These forces on the church, I say forces not to say that they were controlling the church, but how many of you know they were affecting the church? These belief systems, these principles, they were affecting it. Much like the wind affects a sailboat. They were affecting it. And what each of these letters are drawing them back to the simplicity. Remember your heading. Don't look at each other. Remember your heading. Focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our lives of faith as believers often need guidance and course correction. And I know many of you have heard this metaphor, but uh, when the spaceship traveled to the moon, They didn't just set their GPS heading on moon. Type in moon, hit enter. It was a series, it was constant course correction to get there. That's maybe a clear, a little bit easier to understand picture than the sailing metaphor. 
It's not just, we're just gonna pick that heading and go. Just like when you set your GPS to leave from here and you're gonna end up in Dallas, Texas. You don't just drive in a straight line to Texas, do you? There's a series of lefts and rights and straights and you tack, essentially, just like sailing. Make adjustments. Well, we're gonna head west, do west for a while, then we're gonna head south, then we're gonna head west again, then we're gonna head south, then we're gonna head west, and then when you get to Texas, well, not to Dallas, but anywhere else in Texas, it's like 14 hours later, you're there after you cross the border. It's a series of course corrections and adjustments. This patience, faith and patience, the author of Hebrews was instructing. It's got kind of a negative connotation today. We don't do patience really good in this society, do we? How many of you have ever been frustrated waiting for your food somewhere? Waiting for your web page to refresh for whatever you're looking up. Waiting for somebody to pick up the phone. Waiting for somebody to call you back. Sometimes those are the worst. And yet, patience, fortitude, waiting with intention. It's necessary for everything in this natural existence. We did like 14 weeks, it was supposed to be four weeks, on seed time and harvest a few years ago. You guys remember that? How many of you know farmers need to have patience? You gotta have patience, sink a whole bunch of money into a field, and then just go on vacation. That's all there is to farming, right, Corey? You just plant it and then you go on vacation? They have, and we've talked about this, most farmers that I know that farm full-time, their primary window of vacationing is while the crop is growing. That's pretty risky. Leaving all that money out in the field, and it's got some nutrients and stuff, but what if, and you fill in the blanks, and they're able to go on vacation. They're able to operate in patience. How many of you know parenting needs a little patience? Can I get an amen? This one's a little, a little more touchy. Uh, fitness, physical fitness. Got to have a little patience for that one. A little bit of patience. I started doing a, a push-up challenge with a friend of mine who's kicking my butt. For the month of February, doing a whole bunch of push-ups every day. And that first day that I tried, to, I, I wasn't going to sign up for this until I knew if I could hack it. The first day that I tried, I did like 50 push-ups. I'm good to go. And the next day, I could not button my shirt. <laughs> not because of the muscles, because I couldn't move my arms that high. And there's some patience that is needed to keep going. It's holding that line, saying, I'm going to keep going. And you know, one week in, Nearly nothing has changed in my life except I'm exhausted. Two weeks in, starting to feel just a little bit different. How many of you know patience is required for saving money? Anybody? I mean, you can win the lottery, which I've discovered. You have to play to win. But aside from that, you want to amass wealth, better get comfortable. It's going to take a while. It takes a little while. In fact, I don't remember the percentage. A large percentage of people who are millionaires today got that way little by little, year after year, year after. Very few millionaires that are in existence today 
got that way because somebody left him a bunch of money. Most of them just started saving. They were 25 years old. They're like, I'm going to save $100 a week or $50 a week. And they just kept doing it over and over. And with patience and faith, they received the promise. Now, that's a carnal, natural thing. But how hard is it for us as believers to apply that same principle to our lives of faith? Faith and patience. How many of you know that for healthy relationships, you got to operate in a little patience? I'm talking these relationships. I'm not talking about just your relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about friends, family. You want to have a good relationship? You got to have a little patience. You got to have a little patience. My wife has a lot of patience. She didn't have as much when she married me, and then I've helped her. I've helped her learn patience. Turns out, if you marry somebody like me, you're going to develop patience. The Lord's going to bring it out in your life. Worship team, if you guys want to come forward, we've we got a little bit more time of worship here following this. But I want to invite us <clears throat> this morning. This is truly an invitation. I want, I want to invite you, as we worship, to consider your walk with Jesus through the lens of patience. Through the lens of faith, which is to believe, to hold the line, to hold it tight, and patience. Choosing, and, and again, I, I mentioned this a little bit, but the, the definition for patience includes the word fortitude, which is intention. Waiting, not just waiting, but waiting with anticipation. Sitting on the edge of your seat, I'm waiting with anticipation, with intention, that fortitude, still willing to wait because it is so in our society today, the temptation and the accusations of the enemy, the accusations, the commentary from many people around us is to knock us off course. It's to shift our attention. Well, you believe God, really? How's that working out for you? You prayed for healing. Did you see it right away? And it's like, if you can't answer with the definitive, yep, I saw it right away, what is implied is this question. Well, then, I don't know if it's really got, how many of you have ever prayed for somebody to be healed or yourself to be healed, and you didn't see it right away, and somebody that you love and that loves you is like, are you sure about this healing thing? It's like, that, that is akin to saving for one week. And then somebody says, so are you a millionaire? No, I'm not a millionaire. Are you sure about the saving thing? It's like, absolutely sure of the saving thing. And I'm not a millionaire yet, but that doesn't change my belief that saving over time, faith and patience, we receive the promise. This believing, choosing to believe indefinitely. It's, I'm just deciding to believe. I wasn't gonna include this, but I'm going to, and I hope Jerry doesn't mind because he's here. I asked Jerry one time years ago, what do you do when you don't see something that you believe, you see in Scripture, and you've got a clear line on? You know this promise is in Scripture. You know because there's clarity in it. It's definitely for us. We've understood in context, this is my promise. What do you do? This is after he'd walked with Jesus for a lot longer than I've been living. And he looked at me and said, I don't know what to tell you. I can tell you what I've did, what I've done. And I decided long, long, long time ago to make the word of God the ultimate authority in my life. To not make my understanding or my circumstances or whether it looks just like what I think I should see 
That's not the authority. That's what you end up with. James talks about being double-minded, unstable, tossed to and fro. When the wind blows this way, the boat goes that way. When the wind blows this way, the boat goes that way. You'll never win a sailboat race that way. Letting your circumstances dictate your direction will leave you in the doldrums. The doldrums is you can't go anywhere. You're just stuck until the wind blows a different direction and then you'll start to go that way and maybe a big storm will come and you'll just tip over. Who knows? That's being tossed to and fro every which way by every wind of doctrine. Somebody comes along and they're like, you prayed for healing and you didn't see it? See, God doesn't want you well. That's ridiculous. The word of God declares over and over that God wants us well. Does that mean we see everything every time? No. There's a whole bunch of things that I don't understand. There's gonna be stuff that we don't understand yet when we get to eternity and when we get there, we'll see it. And it's like, oh, but that doesn't mean we don't believe. We choose to believe. We place such a high value on this. This is the ultimate authority. We're gonna keep correcting, keep course correcting according to the word of God and biblical, wise, spirit-filled advisors and counselors that give us a word and maybe we tweak, maybe we move that, we move that rudder just a little bit. And we're gonna, I'm not, I need to adjust what I'm saying. I spent time talking with a friend of mine who doesn't even live around here, but we are talking about this uh, concept of what we say. I said, how detrimental has it been to the body of Christ that when someone gets born again, we immediately tell them, well, you know, you're going to sin the rest of your life. We mean it as encouraging, don't we? We mean it. We say, we say we just want them to be okay when they fall the next time. But that's our rudder. We're just directing their ship like, so, just so you know, just keep doing whatever is dumb in our lives. Instead of, instead of give, offering them hope from the word of God, we can overcome this. You're not stuck here. You may periodically fall, but don't stay there. Don't, don't get yourself so, in, it's like, well, we're just gonna keep the rudder and we're just gonna keep doing stupid stuff for the rest of our lives. You know what'll happen? We'll just keep doing stupid stuff for the rest of our lives. We're never gonna walk in victory of anything. It's little tweaks, like, little, I'm gonna adjust what I say. I'm gonna adjust that rudder a little bit. Not in a religious way, in a relationship way. Religion says, you better or else. Relationship says, have you tried this? You hear the different, there's a totally different tone in a relationship where you've got, there's conversation. There's words being given. There's course corrections being made. It is an opportunity. And I'm offering you an opportunity to look at Scripture to look at your life and not in a religious way but it's been really good for me to look at it and say I think I've been pretty sluggish as verse 12 says that you do not become sluggish but that we imitate that we hold the line we imitate those who through faith and patience inherit and receive the promises we got some questions you might have questions for a long time I invite you to place a high value on the word of God. Make this the ultimate authority in your life. Not what you see, not which direction the wind's out of, but you choose. Take the word of God and you guide your life. You set your heading, making mechanical adjustments to the things that you say, the things that you view, things that you read, the things that you behold. And by faith and patience, inherit the promise. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. 
Thank you for your patience and long-suffering. Thank you that you bring about this fruit in our lives as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here in this place, you're here within us and in our midst. We're gathered in the name of Jesus. There you will be in our midst. Pray a blessing over this time of worship as we close today. Thank you for your word. The tremendous hope that is contained within your word. You are not slack concerning your promises as some men count slackness. You're patient, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. Father, I just pray that we would carry the gospel with boldness into this society that we find ourselves in. We would shine our lights brightly as we step out into the darkness. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand and worship.